0: done with announcements. We're ready to explore God. We are not done with our Explore God series. We've got a few weeks left. Next week we're going to talk about is Christianity made in America. We're going to close it out with our amazing Celebrate New Life baptism service. But today we hit the question that is not the most common question that people ask, but is the question that most skeptics cite as the reason that they are not interested in stepping into Christianity. And the question is this, so you'll see it on your outline, why is the church so full of intolerant hypocrites? Any intolerant hypocrites out there? That's weird. They're wrong, right? I mean, that's it. We're not. We're all great people. Any of you know an intolerant hypocrite out there? <laughs> yeah, you're like, uh, yeah, okay. Okay. So we're going to talk about this. If you've got your notes today, we've got a a bunch of notes and we're going to address this topic the best that I can, right? This is a different type of question, right? Kind of looking into the church and saying, what is wrong here? Why does this happen so often? Is is Christianity broken in some way? And so we're going to approach that this week. So if you have your notes, you can pull them out. Uh, All of the readings we'll have this morning are from the book of Matthew. And so you're welcome to open to Matthew 6. That's where our first reading will be, but we're going to blast through Matthew. Um, but I would love to set the tone for where we 're going uh, with a story from art history that maybe you 've heard maybe you haven 't heard any art history buffs in here. anyone heard of of Johannes Vermeer Vermeerify files in here? Oh, you might recognize this painting. This is a girl with a pearl earring. Now my stepsister Sarah painted a perfect replica of this painting one time I was blown away. It seems like it would be very difficult to paint like Vermeer. Vermeer is a seventeenth century uh, artist and famous for paintings like this one and a few hundred years out of his de- after his death right this was painted in 1665 a few hundred years after the, his death in the 1930s A family who was kind of going through their estate came across this big, beautiful painting of Christ and his disciples with Vermeer's signature in the bottom right-hand corner, and they kind of gasped, I'm assuming, as they look at this painting, do we have in our estate an authentic, lost Vermeer? And so they call one of the most famous art historians in the world they, they show him this or this painting that you 'll see on the screen here uh, and, and they bring him in and they say, "Is this authentic right we 've never seen this we 've looked it up, never heard of this painting before it's this is the road to Emmaus, Christ and his disciples breaking the bread and this Art historian, this art critic, this, uh, this verifier looks at this painting, he gets in close and he looks at the breaststrokes and the technique, he draws back a little bit, looks at the texture and the lighting, he steps back even further, he looks at the, the Vermeer signature and he gasps and he says, this, I don't know how you got this, but this is one of the most marvelous lost works of art the world has ever seen. Now this is the quote from this art critic who looked at the painting on the family's behalf. He says, "It is a wonderful moment in the life of a lover of art when he finds himself suddenly confronted with a hitherto unknown painting by a great master, untouched on the original canvas and without any restoration, just as it let, left the painter's studio." And what a picture. Neither the beautiful signature nor the pontalais on the bread with Christ's blessing, are necessary to convince us that what we have here, I am inclined to say, the masterpiece of Johannes Vermeer of Delft. Quite different from all his other paintings, yet every inch of Vermeer, in no other picture by the great master of Delft do we find such sentiment, such a profound understanding of a Bible story, a sentiment so nobly human expressed through the medium of highest art. In other words, this painting is real. It's the real deal. Uh, after World War II, right, here's a little bit of a caveat. Um, the family that held this painting wa- was a Nazi family. And after World War II, the question emerged, where did they get the painting? And it turns out, right, all eyes uh, went to, who the family helped them track down, uh, a man named Han von Mirgerin, who went on to trial for what's it called when you treason, right? When you go against your country for selling this great work of art uh, to the Nazis. And he traded it for 200 pieces of Dutch art. And so he goes on trial for treason. He's about to go face execution for war crimes. And Mirgerin comes up with his defense. He says, you can't try me for treason for selling a Vermeer to this family because it's not real. And they said, what do you mean it's not real? We had the the biggest art critic in the world look at this painting, and he verified that it's real. He's like, I can verify you that it's not real. They said, how can you be so sure that this painting's not real? Guess what he said? He said, I painted it. (laughs) So they dig a little deeper. They found out this is not the only fake Vermeer painted by Myrgerin. He became one of the most famous art imitator hoaxer people in the history of the world. It's a fascinating story. There's movies about it. I haven't watched any of the movies. Can't recommend them. But fascinating story of someone who got so good at making something look like it came from the master's own hand when in fact he crafted it himself uh, to make himself money. Or he says, I wanted to steal the Dutch paintings back from the Nazis, Nazis so I traded it. Who knows what the truth is. Right? Well, today we're talking about imitators, phonies, right, Christians, who, who for all works and effects want the world to believe that they are painted by the master's own hand when in real life their faith is nothing but a construct of their own creation. People who look like Christians on the outside, but on the inside are rotting away. People who give the church a bad name, right? Intolerant hypocrites, because this facade of Christianity they put forth into the world is so convincing that everyone points to them as the genuine article. And then when they do stupid things, the world says, I knew there was no power in Christianity. Why is the church so full of (laughs) right, murgurins, why is the church so full of phonies, of imposters, of hoaxes, of intolerant hypocrites. You know, I asked the question earlier, have you ever met an intolerant hypocrite? And I think we don't want to raise our hand, but many of us have someone in mind (laughs) that we're thinking about when you think about this term, right? We think of friends from our lives, And that convinced everyone in our group that that they were the real deal. And then stuff came out about their life that we realized they'd been faking this Christianity thing the whole time. We think of celebrity pastors we see on the news who have this image of greatness. And you hear the story of the dirty, devastating things they do behind closed doors. And you think, this person was just doing this for money or something? What is this? And we think of the guy from work who's a terrible human being. And then you find out that he's a leader in his church community. And you think, how is he fooling those people? He's putting on a mask to go to church. And you at work and say, I can tell you what this guy is. He's a hypocrite. Because here at work, he doesn't practice what y'all preach. If you are someone who's ever wrestled with this question, or you're skeptical about Christianity I might guess that what you're thinking right now is is Danny. That's my name, Danny. Danny, (laughs) I I can see what you're doing, right? You're painting this ugly, terrible picture about hypocrites, and then you're distancing real Christians from those people and saying, this is us, right? Everyone in here, we're not them. We're these people. And then you're going to sink this ship and tell us, no, this is real Christianity. Who cares about them? Just look at us. It's like a smoke and mirrors. It's a parlor trick. That's kind of what I'm going to do. I am going to say that you shouldn't judge us by the worst that call themselves us. But at the same time, what you'll see as we walk through the sermon is I'm not going to try to distance ourselves from hypocrites. I'm actually going to draw out this hypocrisy as a spectrum. Right? There are these evil, terrible human beings that we hear about on the news or we might meet in life sometimes. And there are these beautiful, saintly Christians that there's no impurity in them but I would guess that most of us are somewhere in the middle right most Christians you meet do a little bit of pretending or a medium bit of pretending or maybe a lot of pretending there's a spectrum of hypocrisy and so though I will say that we are going to distance ourselves from the crazy people among us what I'm going to spend the bulk of our time doing is talk about why are there so many Christians here in the middle Is Christianity broken that it just outputs these phonies, these fakes, these pretenders? Is faith in God something that can truly transform a person's life and soul? Or is the whole thing just an act, a charade, a a mirgarin to a vermeer hand? Why is the church so full of intolerant hypocrites? And so we're going to have some fun for the next 20 to 30 minutes or so. So let's take some notes because the first thing I want to do is clarify a misconception. Because everybody that I've talked to about this topic, they get really intrigued, and then they all say the same thing to me. They say, well, Danny, I know the secret is we are all hypocrites. I'm like, well. I said, well, no, we're not. They're like, yeah, we are. Like, all of us fall short. None of us are perfect, right? All of us sin. And and I realize as I have these conversations, I even had one last night with someone who said the same thing. Well, we're all hypocrites. And I pushed back, and they didn't agree, and then we argued, then we made up, right? (laughs) What? what I want to draw out is that I think a lot of times we kind of conflate the term hypocrite and the term sinner in our minds. Right? Because it's true that we're all sinners. All of us fall short. All of us mess up. Right? And everyone who's come to me and said we're all hypocrites, this is you know, effectively what they mean. It's none of us are perfect. None of us have this outward expression that matches our inward heart. All of our hearts are broken in some sense. And I will totally agree with that. All of us are sinners. But the word hypocrite, this is where we're going to start by defining our terms today, is not about sinfulness. Hi- hypocrisy is about pretending hypocrisy is about pretending, and I would argue that all of us are are sinful people, and all of us might struggle with trying to cover up our sin or pretend like we've got it together, but not all of us in the church are phonies and pretenders, and that's where this word hypocrite comes. If you're taking notes, you get to write down this way, is that hypocrisy, here's our definition, is when you are pretending to be something that you're not. Again, it's a spectrum, and even as we look at the teachings of the scripture, we'll see that there's kind of small, medium, large, and extra large versions of hypocrisy, but at its core, hypocrisy is when you're pretending to be something that you're not. I asked you to turn to the book of Matthew. I did a word study on the word hypocrisy in the book of Matthew this week. We're going to spend a ton of time in Matthew next year, and so I've been in the book and thought I'd do a a fun word study, which turned out to be a little more torturous than fun, but we got to see the spectrum through the teachings of Jesus of what a hypocrisy looks like. This is for your notes here. There's four different ways Jesus uses the words in the book of Matthew. Number one, Jesus uses the word hypocrisy when a person's faith is an act they're putting on for others. When your faith is an act you're putting on for others. Right? The core of the word hypocrisy is this idea of almost like putting on a mask and being a play actor and pretending that you're something that you're not. When your faith is an act... You're putting on for others. We see this in Matthew 6. Jesus says three different times. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Right? It's an act they're putting on by others. It's in verse 16. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting for these type of hypocrites in matthew chapter 6 their faith is an act they're putting on for others next usage of hypocrites is just a few verses later in matthew 7 5 and this is the most famous hypocrisy passage i believe of jesus it's when you judge others even though you have issues in your own life right hypocrisy as an arm of judgment when you judge others even though you have issues in your own life i think we've all heard this verse he says you hypocrite First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What makes this person a hypocrite is he's pointing out the sin of others, but he's forgotten that when he points one finger at his brother, he's got three fingers pointing back at himself, right? Take out the sin, the, the blog in your eye, and then you'll see clearly to go and address the sins of others. Don't judge others when you have issues in your own life. Third, Hypocrisy according to Jesus is when you pretend to be godly, but your heart is not engaged When you pretend to be godly, but your heart isn't engaged Some of us do this when we go to small group during the week We pretend to be godly when our heart isn't engaged It says in Matthew 15 Hypocrites Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me And they worship me in vain teaching as doctrines the commandments of men they again it's performative they're honoring God with their lips but their hearts are not engaged finally the last time Jesus uses hypocrisy in Matthew the book of Matthew is a passage a number of passages we read last week you can listen to that sermon because they're pretty intense or you could read Matthew 23 and then go cry in your room but (laughs) in the middle of it he says this uh, when you're pretending to be a true believer but you aren't That is kind of the climax of the thing. You're pretending to be a real Christian, but you aren't. You're pretending to be a Vermeer when you're a hoax, you're a phony. He says, woe to you, experts in the law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs that look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and of everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you look righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy And lawlessness. You're pretending to be a true believer, but you aren't. Before we self-diagnose and say which one do I struggle with most, uh, what I want to do is kind of address the literal question we started with. Why is the church so full of intolerant hypocrites? So you look at this list of four things that make a hypocrite, we can ask of that list, why do Christians fall into this so much? And so I've got four reasons that Christians tend to be hypocrites, for better or for worse. These are not from the Bible. These are Most of these I made up, and one of them is from Tim Keller, the first one. He he says that part of the reason that so many Christians are hypocrites is the nature of religion. You can write that down, the nature of religion. There's something about the religious faith community that can just output hypocrites because of what it is. Right, we have high moral standards in the faith community. We're all about character in the faith community. It doesn't matter how talented or skill-filled you are in the faith community. If you are not an upstanding, morally righteous human being, you'll never ascend to leadership in the faith community. And so that the nature of what religion is, a place of transformation, is a hotbed or like a, a greenhouse that so quickly fertilizes and grows the hypocrite's among us because we think, okay, if I need to be a real Christian, I need to look and act like those people, and if I want to be in leadership, I need to look and act like those people, and so sometimes it's so much easier to just fake it till we make it, right? It's the nature of religion, but not to just blame religion because really the issues in our own selves. The other three three reasons are, are related to our own hearts. The second is this. It's pride. I think if hypocrisy is a is trying to put on this mask that we've got it all together when we don't. Part of us have a really hard time because of our pride letting our friends and family and church members know that we don't have it all together. There's something broken in us that we just we can't be transparent. We can't be vulnerable. And so even when our life is messed up, even when we're falling into sin, even when we're struggling or even confessing something our pride doesn't want to sp- sp- spit it out to quote quote Butch Monk and how he talks sometimes. Psst, you hear that butch i can't even do it like you spit it out you got to hear butch's preaching i was talking on the phone this weekend with a a pastor that i know and um, he was kind of talking about hey i've been going through this and kind of and did what people always do he said i've been struggling and he gave kind of generic terms around his struggling and then as we talked uh, he kind of gave another layer deep and and these are some of the categories of sin that i've been struggling with lately Right? And then he went another layer deep and said, okay, and it looks like this when I fell into these categories. Right? But I could tell I'm starting, starting to get nervous that I thought that maybe he was sinning more than what he was disclosing. So then he went with the fourth category and said, hey, but I'm not doing this or this or this or this or this. right? And so it took him a long time to get to what he's really doing. But he also wanted to be very clear that he's not doing any more than what he admitted he was doing. Right? That's some kind of clarity that is connected with our pride. Because as we share with someone the sin in our lives... Sometimes we don't want them to have an accurate assessment of the depth of depravity in our hearts, and other times we just want to make sure they don't think we're worse than we actually are, right? Our pride can make it so that we might pretend. Third is like it shame. Shame. Some of us fall into stuff that, that we don't want anyone to know about because we're ashamed of our actions. And so we pretend that we've got it all together. We pretend, right? I talked to a guy one time who. Uh, stepped out on his wife and had an affair and he came to us for confession uh, trying to figure out what do I do next and we say hey, well the first thing you need to do is you need to go confess to your wife and he said I will never tell my wife about this right? I'd rather die than have her find out what I, I did I'm so ashamed I'm not going to do this anymore but she will never find out about what happened last weekend right? that's shame right and so for the rest of his marriage, I assume, I haven't talked to him since, he, he's been pretending <laughs> that he's got it all together when he's got this skeleton in the closet that the person closest to him just can't know about because he's ashamed of, and he's scared of what's gonna happen in his relationship. Shame has turned him into a hypocrite, into a pretender. No one knows the real him, but me who doesn't even know him. All right, fourth, and then we'll stop torturing you, is this, is pressure, pressure. This is especially to those of you who are serving in leadership in the church, right? if, if you are a volunteer leader, a staff leader, a pastoral leader in the church, an elder in the church, right? Or a small group leader in the church, a kids ministry leader, right? There's so much pressure to have your act together, right? You do something stupid on the weekend, you might lose your opportunity at the church, and you love the ministry you lead. And so the pressure to stay put in your slot... Causes you to become this phony, where no one knows what the real you is like, because you have you think you have to pretend to have it all together. Because if they knew the real me, they'd never let me lead these kids, or they'd never let me lead this group, right? Or I'd be finished. Right? We could add a bunch of things to this list, right? Fear is part of that, right? As you intersect this with your own story, you might be able to tell me ten more things. But these are some reasons that, that Christianity, a place where we're trying to experience transformation at the hand of Christ by the work of the Spirit to the glory of God, can turn us not into the genuine article, but turn us into pretenders because there's stuff that no one can know about. There's stuff that, that we're they're too prideful to say. There, there's stuff that we have pressure in our lives or that religion itself is kind of make us look like we're faking it and no one knows the real life. So, so now I want to pause and sit in this for a moment and, and ask you to, to look at the list that we've compiled so far. Right? This is for you, Christian person, if that's you in this room. Where does this intersect with your life? Right, do you have something in your life that, that is hidden, that no one knows about, that, that you feel so guilty about because you know it is making you a hypocrite? You don't want to be that, but you don't know how to get this thing out. Where do you have fear or shame or pride? Where is your leadership position or the pressure to succeed or the voice of your parents, whatever it is, forcing you to put on some act? Maybe you're not even a Christian at all, but you're here because your grandma would be so mad if you didn't come to church. As this list intersects with you in your heart and your soul, I would plead with you that you work with the lord in this moment or in this service or in this day in this week to say god what would it look like for me to stop pretending and start becoming the genuine article in this specific area and if hypocrisy or the perception of hypocrisy is the biggest reason that people aren't interested in christianity that means that that you confessing your sin and being real would actually do more for the gospel in someone's life than you pretending to have it all together. In in fact, what this list and what the survey means is that you're pretending to be a Christian, even though you think it so that no one will discredit Christ because of your bad actions, is actually the thing keeping people away from a relationship with Jesus. So so what's one next step you can take this week? A a moment of confession, a a journaling exercise you need to do, a a meeting with someone to just say, I need some wisdom here. What's the next step you can take to take off the mask, to say, here's the real me, ask, am I still loved? And and now what do I do with this? What's a next step for you? Because hypocrisy is not just dangerous in in the, the way that it kills our witness with the world. Hypocrisy is dangerous because it can kill us from the inside out. That's the teachings of Jesus. You you look, you're whitewashed tombs, right? You look good on the outside, but inside you're full of decay. It's killing you from the inside out. And sometimes we can get blinded and lost in our hypocrisy and find ourselves in a place that we're so blind that we think we have it all together or, or something and this is where the word intolerant comes in. Now we start judging people left and right, probably because of our own guilt and shame. But we're judging others with bitterness and anger, even though we struggle with the same things that we're accusing them of. Right? Ever do this with your kids? Ever do this with your friends? And When I started studying this topic, I couldn't help but think about a, a pastor that I knew who was... Um, actually the head of the doctoral program that I was in when I was working on my, my doctoral degree. And, and he was teaching a class one time on church leadership. And, and out of the blue one day, he starts going on this tirade of intolerance about sin in the church, right? Which it's good not to tolerate sin in the church, right? Nobody disagreed with that. But, but the way he was talking about sin was just so cold-hearted and angry that it made all of us pastors in the room just think like, what is going on with this guy? Right? He's like, I have a zero policy of sin in my leadership. Right? So we're like, what, is zero, what does zero tolerance policy for sin look like? You know? He's like, well, at the first hint of sin, you're out. And we're like, well, then who can survive in your leadership? Because like, all of us are sinners. <laughs> and, and he said, well, I just feel like if you can't be morally upright, you can't serve in God's church. And we said, do you hear what you're saying? That sounds so intolerant. He said, it's not intolerant, It's holiness. And so my one buddy, who's amazing, and the friend raises his hand and said, I I just think you're going to create a community where everyone's scared to confess. He's like, they should be, and they should be scared enough not to sin in the first place. And he didn't back down. And so then we all started ganging up on this guy, not in an intolerant way, but in a, you know, a healthy way. And we started throwing, like, what ifs at him, right? So this is when I remember, I said, what if somebody, I don't know if I said it, somebody said, what if somebody on your eldership comes to you and, and says, hey, pastor, I... I just feel like I need to confess to you, last night I was at home, and I clicked on this link on the computer, and I saw something I shouldn't have seen. I've never done that before, but I just feel like before that even could turn into anything, I wanna come to you and say, man, I just wanna make sure someone knows what happened in my life last night, and, and if there's anything I need help or whatever, please let me know, hold me accountable. What would you say to that person? And he said, well, I would say, first, you're off the board. Everybody did that, Everybody like what? And he said, second, I, I would tell him, he gave him the same speech about intolerance for sin. And, and we're all looking around like, what is wrong with this guy? The class ends. A few weeks later, we find out he lost his job uh, for being in an affair with a woman in his church <laughs> and covering it up, right? And the stuff that he is so vitriolic against. Right, he's projecting his hatred towards himself, maybe, Right, but something broke, right? Something broke in this guy. Because he, we we all, I knew this guy from a long time back. We all, he didn't always be, used to be like this, right? Something happened in his heart where sin was just no longer an option. And, and so maybe the may, way he was atoning for his sin was being judgy on the sins. Of, I don't know. Right, but he's the person I think of right now when I think of why is the church full of intolerant hypocrites. Because he was living in hypocrisy, unconfessed sin, while pretending to have it all together. And then his hypocrisy kind of turned him into this intolerant jerk hurting people who were coming confessing of the sins that he himself was committing, right? He found himself in the camp that Jesus was railing against, right? Even in our own classroom, training the next generation of pastors how to be intolerant hypocrites to, or trying to, we didn't buy it, right? And this is why this question's an important question, because that doesn't just happen to pastors and leaders, it happens to all of us. ever find yourself yelling at somebody about something that you struggle with and it's like are you yelling at them or yourself kind of where this pride and shame and hypocrisy all kind of bubbles up together is is we're so ashamed of who we are but we're so scared to bring it out that we're going to atone for our sins by judging others and we become intolerant hypocrites right so the question is why right first question for you christian is how do you not become like that we'll talk about that but for the skeptic who brings this question, it's like, what does this say about the power or lack of power of the gospel? Right? If Christianity breeds this type of people, imposters and phonies, hypocrites, is this whole thing a charade? Right? Is there power in the gospel? I wrestle with that question because right? I know there's power in the gospel. I've seen the gospel in my own life. But why is the church a place that breeds hypocrites? And as I wrestled with it this week, kind of the irony that came out to me as I prayed and thought through this and thought about people in my life who've wrestled through this stuff is, is the irony of hypocrisy is this. Is the people who fall into hypocrisy are people who are terrified to deal with their sins. They're terrified for the world to find out. They're, they're terrified for people to know the real them that they're using all the time, or whatever it is. Right? They're terrified to deal with their sin properly. Where the beauty of the Christian religion is, it's the only place in the world you can come to actually have God deal with your sin properly. Right? The heart of Christianity is confess your sin and find freedom. The heart of Christianity is Christ has died to pay for that sin. The heart of Christianity is he's raised from the grave to give life to all who believe. And so if you come as a confessor of your sin in the Christian community, you will find freedom and transformation, and you will not become a phony. You'll become a transformed, genuine article. You'll move from death to life, and the irony and tragedy of hypocrisy is that we can get so prideful or ashamed or whatever of our own sin that we're like an inch from the life-giving power of the gospel, but instead we die on the vine right here just trying to pretend to be what the gospel offers for free. As we take taken notes, you can write this down, is that hypocrisy is the easiest way to fake the life-changing power of God in your life. It's one step removed from transformation. It's the easiest way to fake the life-changing power of God in your life. Right? If you are a hypocrite, right? if that's what you're thinking, man, that's me, you're just an inch away from the real thing, right? But you're still an inch away from the real thing. It's the easiest way to fake the life-changing power of God in your life. Right? To be clear, I, I don't think the presence of hypocrites means that Christianity is not real if anything I think the presence of hypocrites kind of doubles down on the reality of Christianity right because nothing uh, gets a lot of imposters unless it's the real deal uh, That's like asking does the presence of per- performance enhancing drugs negate the power of athleticism it's like no actually it accentuates the power of athleticism because the reason so many people are trying to fake their way into being a strong like home run slugger or a strong right quarterback or whatever it is, the reason they're trying to fake it through steroids is because they want to keep up with the real deal, right? We know there are people who are truly athletic, and the fakers are fakers, but nobody says, well, I don't believe in sports anymore because of all these steroids. It's like, No, actually, it makes the real athletes look even greater because they did it without help. The beauty of Christianity is you don't need to do this without help. <laughs> That's the secret of Christianity. Ask God for help, and he can transform you from the inside out. So as we wrestle through this, let me give you four challenges, and the number one is self-explanatory, but I have to say it. Number one is this. Don't be a hypocrite. Just don't do it. (laughs) That's that's probably bad if if you're a therapist in the room. I'm sorry for just saying this, but just don't do it. Don't be a hypocrite. And and the reason I say it this way is because if you feel like, I'm stuck, you're not stuck. You could actually get out pretty easily. You're one confession away. You're one moment of vulnerability away, right? You're one step of authenticity away from being the real deal, from taking off the mask. Take off the mask and you won't be a hypocrite anymore. Let someone see your real face. I was like, I had a buddy uh, a few months ago who came and visited our church, good, good friend of mine, and we went home afterwards, we had dinner, and we're sitting in the backyard around the fire, and he's like, I said, hey, what did you think of the worship service? Actually, I didn't say that, he just offered. He said, hey, can I give you some feedback on the worship service? I'm like, absolutely. And he just started going off on how terrible the worship service was. He's like, you guys are supposed to be a mega church. It wasn't even that good. Right? It's like your video wasn't that good. Your message was okay. Right? It was just like, and my wife was sitting there, right, unfortunately, because uh, she uh, was not happy with my friend, and neither was his wife, who was like, what are you saying, man? It was really good. I really loved it. I love the diversity. He's like, oh, yeah, they're just pretending, right? And, I'm like what are you talking about he's like those shoes you're wearing these nikes on stage you don't wear nikes i'm like matt i wore the same shoes when we went out to dinner last night like those are my shoes what are you what are you critiquing everything for what's wrong with you (laughs) and he just kept doubling down on how our church was bad and right and i've had a lot of critique over the years right it just rolled off my back but then yeah right as my wife and his wife were talking about like what is wrong with my husband right what's wrong with your friend a few weeks later he called me back and he's like hey i just want to apologize He's like, I went to your church, and it was amazing. <laughs> he's like, my church experience has been so bad lately. I just was so jealous that your church is great, right? And he was probably laying a little too thick at this point, right? But he's like, that was wrong. I was just trying to make you feel small, but I'm sorry. Right? And what do you think I did? Right? Did I say, you hypocrite, get out of my life? <laughs> 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 uh, I said, I forgive you, right? In fact, I actually, I feel like I know you a little bit better now, and and we can wrestle, we actually got to have some deeper conversations about his own church, and I said, can I give you some advice? And I'm like, you're stupid. No, I didn't say that. I said, can I give you some advice? I'm like, you've been, I've been watching you struggle with this stuff so, so long. It's just so nice to hear you quantify it for me. Now that I know you struggle with this, you should do this. And he's like, I'm going to do it. And he goes and does it, and, uh, you know it just it opened up a door in our relationship to a deeper level of of authenticity and vulnerability and right i don't judge him i'm i'm sure i've done the same thing right? we, we get jealous we get prideful we get ashamed we we say things we shouldn't right but in those moments we're one step away from becoming the real deal don't be a hypocrite All right second if you want to become more genuine we just talked about this practice humility and authenticity tim keller who talked about uh, the the nature of religion producing hypocrites says this as the antidote, that that the beauty of Christianity is that we can be our authentic, humble selves in community, and that actually destroys hypocrisy. Jesus says the same thing. If you don't believe in Tim Keller, you can believe in Jesus. After calling these people hypocrites in Matthew 23, he continues just a few verses later, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your mind. Right With all of you. Not with part of you and have a mask on the other part of you. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Be an authentic, holistic, fully devoted Christian. Don't have masks that you wear. Third, as you grow in your faith, here's a challenge for you, is to let your faith and character be formed by Jesus himself. Right, you don't have to be a fake Vermeer. <laughs> you don't have to be a, a master replicator of Christ's work. You can hand the paintbrush to Christ himself and say, I need you to transform me from the inside out. Let your faith and character be formed by Christ himself. And fourth, I told you I wouldn't camp on this the whole time, but I would say it, don't write off Christianity because of the presence of hypocrites. When the fake Vermeer painting was found in the container in the Nazi family's estate, no one had a crisis of faith and stopped believing in Vermeer because they found a replica. So, So don't write off Christianity because there's so many people pretending to be one of us. In fact, let the presence of copycats show you that there is something real people are trying to emulate. And as you explore Christianity, don't Don't explore phony Christianity. Explore the genuine article. Explore Christ Himself as is formed in the community of faith as we submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to him. So today, as we close in prayer, I want to bring back what we said in the middle. What's something in your life that, that you need to come clean about? That you need to be authentic and vulnerable about. And let's just start right now being clean and vulnerable and open before God Himself. You have to say it out loud before God Himself. So let's bow our heads. And let's pray and let's open ourselves up to the Lord. Lord, I think of the words of David in the Psalms who comes to you and says, test me and try me and you will find nothing false in me. Lord, for some of us, our prayer is that we would get to that place. We think of David as not an example of holiness. We think of the sin in his life and the tragedy in his life and the devastation that came from there. And yet, we see this continuous refrain that David was a man after God's own heart, that, that he also penned Psalm 51. Restore in me, create in me a clean heart. Cast me not away from your presence, Lord. Renew it. Renewed spirit within. And I pray for anyone in sin in this room, especially in unconfessed sin, that in this moment they would start by confessing it to you like the words of David in Psalm 51, they'd say against you and only you have I sinned. We're thankful for this space where we can come and sit before you and open our our hands and show the sin that's caught in them and let you take it away from us. I pray that you would bring the restoration process or begin the restoration process in our lives as we simply bring our sin to you, that you exchange it with your righteousness that even a, the simple act of just confessing to you would take this weight off for so many of us that, that we'd walk out of this room not, not prideful, not healed, but in a sense free. And I pray for anyone who's sitting here and they've been holding on to their whole life that they would hear your words, that anyone who wants to keep their life will lose it. But anyone willing to lose their life for Jesus' sake, for the sake of the gospel, find it and eternal life as well. Let folks who've been holding on to their life and kind of even creating a persona of holiness around them, let them open their hands to you and say, God, I've been faking it. I need you to make me the real thing. And let them be encouraged in this moment that the first step of becoming real is being a confessor of our sin and a receiver of the righteousness of Christ. I pray that you would forgive sin in this room, Father. I pray that the death of Jesus would pay for the sin of those who are confessing it. The resurrection of Jesus would give life to all who are confessing. That your spirit would bring enlivenment into them even in this moment. And if anyone has a next step you have for them, give them the courage to take it. Whether it's as simple as going to the prayer room and confessing to someone who they didn't even know, or as courageous as going home and confessing to the person who knows them best. Pray that you would break apart hypocrisy in this faith community and in the communities around our city and our East Bay region by making us real. Confessors. Vulnerable. Authentic. And as we confess our sin and release our things to you, Father, we pray that you would start to restore us like a master artist restores his own painting and draw out the beauty that you once intended in us as we release control of our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.